Thank you for listening to our Truth in Life podcast. This season, we will survey the Bible's unfolding story of redemption. From Genesis to Revelation, every book points to Christ and edifies His church. For more information on our church, visit ChristTheWord.com. Okay, so we're going to recap, everybody, the last three weeks. So we've gone through Judges, Ruth, and 1 Samuel. So what is Judges about? Quick recap. The cycle of the judges and falling away from repentance and repenting. Yep. Yeah, and God sending a deliverer to redeem them and bring them back to, to his fold, right? Yeah. So the theme of Ruth. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, Ruth is a foreigner brought into God's covenant. It's a, um, an encouragement to us, right? Grafted into God's family. The theme of 1 Samuel. It was the start of what? We go from the ruling of the judges to the kings. Yep, so the start of the kingship. There's three main characters in that. There's Samuel, there's Saul, and then that we find out there's the last... David. David, yeah. Good. Very good, guys. So we, we found out Saul is a man after the people's heart, and David was a man after God's heart. So that is where we will pick up today. Uh, as we start, I just want to reiterate the goal for the class. We're, we're going at a, at a kind of an overview. We're just looking at themes. We're, fi- we're figuring out how it fits in to the story of redemption for God's people. Um, the overarching theme throughout really the Bible and we'll see it again here in 2 Samuel is God's providence. We also uh, see clearly in 2 Samuel the consequence of sin uh, both here and now as well as the eternal consequence of sin. In 2 Samuel we will also see God's protecting David. He protects him very often. Uh, We will see God with David and protecting him even when David was not faithful. We'll see God's promise to David to establish his house forever. So we'll see the covenant, the Davidic covenant coming here. Um, and, and this points uh, to the promised Savior. We see uh, the inability to keep the law and then the need for a Savior. Uh, and that's what, that's what, again, what Scripture points to, our need of God, our need for His Word, and our need for a Savior, for His Son. So, um, last week we went over 1 Samuel, as I mentioned. Um, to recap, it's devoted to the history of three figures. It was devoted to Samuel, Saul, and David. We see the rise of uh, prideful King Saul, as well as the exaltation of a humble shepherd boy, David. And at the end of 1 Samuel, do you guys remember what happened? Saul and Jonathan go to battle and they are killed. They're killed. Good. Yeah, so in comes King David. 2 Samuel centers around the life of King David. Um, We'll see here, it's about 1000 BC. So here's where we're at in the timeline. Uh, It's about 3000 years from the creation. About a thousand 
from Abraham and his promises and about 500 years from Moses. So that's, that's where we're at, just to give you kind of an over, overview picture of it. Um, we will see how David, a man after God's heart, rises to power. He, he will fall to temptation. Uh, and he will, sin, he will sin in big ways. Uh, but God is faithful throughout. That is a, a theme here. The authors of both, uh, well, of, Sam, of Second Samuel were probably Nathan and Gad because um, it's, it's majority about David. Samuel uh, wrote the, kind of the first one, and then Nathan and Gad, who were prophets, likely wrote the second book of Samuel. Um, the book begins with David's ascension to the throne and gives an account of significant events over the 40 years. Uh, as I said, it's about 1000 BC, and it, it really shows David's, uh, David's kingdom. Uh, here you'll see highlighted kind of in the diagonal here was Saul's kingdom, and then David expanded the kingdom from the Euphrates River to the river of Egypt. So he, 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 he did the, the whole, whole land that was promised to actually to Abraham. Um, so that's, that is pretty, pretty important. Um, now that we have the kind of the scene set, we're going to get into the, the outline of the book. God bless you. Broken down into three parts here. Part one is the opening years of David's rise to power. Uh, he's going to be battling enemies inside and outside of, of, of the kingdom. Uh, the house of David grows strong, while you'll see the house of Saul is going to be kind of battling for, for position and power, but the house of Saul grows weaker continually. And uh, you'll see God with David. Uh, he's causing him to prosper. And uh, towards the end of the first part, we'll see that God makes a covenant with, uh, with David. The second part is highlighted by, by the sin, the big sin of David, the sin of Bathsheba, as we will get into, and the consequences of that sin. Uh, there'll be a death of his son, turmoil amongst his house, uh, really to the, to the end of his, of his life. Uh, in part three, is, there's rebellion. David is getting old. He's advanced in years, and he can no longer fight. He can no longer do what he's been known to do for his whole whole career as a leader. Uh, and he, he, he uses this time to turn towards reflection uh, on God's goodness to him. So part one, Second Samuel starts with David. He just uh, was uh, slaughtering the Amalekites and he's returning to Ziklag, which is a, it's a Philistine city. I'll show you the map again. Um, it's not on here, but it's, it's likely over there. Um, so it's, it's somewhat close to Hebron and, and Jerusalem, but it's in the Philistine area. So he is returning, uh, and an Amalekite, a messenger, actually brings the news to him that Saul and Jonathan have been killed. Uh, at this time, David and his men are kind of in that town of Ziklag, and the messenger is a young Amalekite. So the guys who he just slaughtered, uh, he, this is a guy from, from that tribe uh, or from that group of people. Uh, he, he actually said he claims to end Saul's life. So he, at this point, I think he, he, he hopes for a reward from David uh, and, and what he's accomplished, but he didn't know David's heart uh, in this matter. He, 
David had no sense of relief that, that Saul and Jonathan were dead. Uh, the word tells us that David is grieved at the loss of Saul and Jonathan. Uh, and though Saul persistently sought to end David's life, he, he was causing him to flee to foreign lands. Uh, he was feared for his life for the past really 15 or so years. Um, David would not lay a finger on him, and he didn't want anyone else to as well, he, for he was the Lord's anointed. So because that Amalekite confessed to killing King Saul, he had him executed. So David, uh, he's 30 years old at this point when he, when he comes to reign. Long feared for his life at the beginning of his reign. He's persecuted, he's harassed with countless sleepless nights, uh, fleeing, distressed. And all these are gone from his heart and mind as he laments the passing of, of Saul and Jonathan. And here's, uh, here's David's lament. It's long. Um, and it really, there's no bashing. I'm not going to read it, but I'll just leave it up there if you can read that small print. Uh, there's no bashing of Saul's character. Uh, his enemy, the guy who David really has been running from, as I, as I said, for 15 years, uh, is dead. He doesn't rejoice in it one bit. He's, uh, he pours out his praise, actually, and, and, uh, and grief. He doesn't distinguish between Saul and Jonathan at this point uh, until the second to last verse of the song when he compares the love of, of Jonathan to a woman's love, or great, to be greater than a woman's love. Um, we see David's heart in these words. We see that he had the right to, he really had the right to have some sense of, of relief. He had the right to kind of be like, oh, good, my, my enemy is, is dead. Um, he, Saul was a jealous man, and he was committed to killing David for the past however many years. And uh, this wasn't how David, how David responded. He, he took, he, Saul was the Lord's anointed a man picked by God to rule over his people, and he loved him and was grieving over them. So who does David turn to in his grief? He turns to, to God. It's a good, uh, good example to us. And uh, David advances to the foot of the throne at when Saul, Saul dies. So David turns to the Lord, and he's like, Lord, what, what should I do now? And the Lord says to him, go up. And he says, where should I go up? And he says, to Hebron. So David goes to Hebron. The Lord directs David to Hebron and... Oh. So right here on the map, so Ziklag was somewhere over here, and he goes to Hebron about 20 miles-ish distance. Um, and instead, at this point, he's anointed uh, king over Judah. So Judah accepts him as, as their king, as his, the king. Uh, instead of trying to punish those who have faithfully served Saul, uh, David shows them favor. He forgives them. And he actually gives them places of honor rather than forcing them into exile. So again, we see David's forgiveness. We see his heart. Uh, and he doesn't, he's not a spiteful man. He is... He's a good example to us of, of Christ and his forgiveness. And after fighting enemies from the outside, uh, David needs to fend off attacks from inside of his house and his people. So there's war between the house of Saul and the house of David. There's many, many uh, battles. 
uh, and Ishbosheth, which is Saul's son, is proclaimed king over all of Israel by uh, Uncle Abner. There's a civil war, as I said, between the house of Saul and the house of David. There's a lot of bloodshed uh, between David's house, but um, and, uh, da- and it was led by a man named Joab, which was David's nephew. He was he was a man of bloodshed. He was he was spiteful uh, in himself, and he used his position to to kind of really just wage war um, and and kill people at will. Uh, and the house of Saul was led by Abner, which was the commander of Saul's army. <laughs> During this war between David's house and Saul's house, uh, it's said that David grew steadily stronger and um, the house of Saul grew weaker continually. Uh, and after, after that is said, it's, it's, it's not a coincidence or by chance that uh, it talks of sons being born to David um, at Hebron, where he was king. Uh, this is the way that David strengthened his house uh, by adding to it, not only by military, but by, by having sons and growing them up. Uh, this is the way we strengthen our house in God's kingdom, by adding to it. Uh, God works through generations as we see through his covenants, uh, and it's a, really a beautiful promise. The promise that we see from Abraham uh, is a generational promise, and the promise to David is also a generational promise. So we see God uh, is with David and against Saul's house. And eventually, Abner is murdered by Joab. Uh, David does not know about this initially. Uh, He does not want this to happen. Uh, Because at that point, Abner comes to David and he's like, all right, I'm on on your side now. Um, But Joab doesn't believe him. He's he's wicked, he's spiteful, and he kills him. so without Abner, the house of Saul kind of falls apart. He's the driving force, uh, the leader. Uh, he was much a stronger leader than Ishbosheth. Uh, and soon after, Ishbosheth was killed, and the Israelites end up turning to King David. So the elders, um, there you go, I'm a little behind. The elders end up uh, recognizing the, the purpose of God and the person that was David and their king. Uh, they give three reasons for his rule, uh, that he's their kin, that he's their family. Uh, he has experience as an army captain. He was a leader of bef- even before he was king. Uh, and that the Lord promised the kingdom to him. The elders should have only needed that one reason, that the Lord promised the kingdom to him, but um, they, they didn't. They tried to use reason uh, to... to uh, to see if he was their true king, uh, and instead of listening to God's word uh, and choosing David as king. So after seven and a half years as king of Judah, David is anointed as king over the United Kingdoms of Israel and Judah. We see here that David makes a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord. Uh, this is God's promise being fulfilled as David of the tribe of Judah becomes uh, king over the United Kingdom of Israel. And where does he choose as a place for his capital city? It is Jerusalem. He takes it by force. It was occupied by Jebusites at this time. Um, They were inhabiting the city, and uh, and he had to uh, go and take it, uh, use military strategy to take it. So Jerusalem 
it has a pretty sacred history. This was uh, the place where Abraham met with Melchizedek, uh, king of Salem, which uh, Jerusalem means place of peace. Uh, he gave him bread and wine and blessed him, uh, saying, Blessed be Abram, by God most high. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a pretty significant place. It's also a place uh, where Abraham had taken his son to, to offer him up to the Lord. And he spoke these words that God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. There's that. Um, and the angel of the Lord responds uh, to Abraham's obedience by these words from Genesis 22:18. It says, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So who is the, who is the promised offspring who will bless all these nations? Well, we know it to be Jesus, um, who will triumphantly enter Jerusalem. He will be crucified in Jerusalem just days later and then rise from the dead on the third day, uh, defeating sin and death. So it's a, it's a pretty significant place, uh, Jerusalem. It's David's city, and, and David's uh, blessed to be a part of it. Um, so it's really, we see it all coming, coming full circle. We see God's promises to, to Abraham, to his people, uh, coming to fruition and eventually the promise of a Savior through his son, Jesus Christ. So as soon as David is established as king over Israel uh, in Jerusalem, he's met with opposition. The Philistines try to take advantage of, of the new king, the new, uh, the new kingdom, um, as, he's trying to, as David's trying to establish himself on the throne. Uh, at this point, David turns to God for counsel, which is a, a pretty, pretty good theme from David, a good example of how we should turn to God and when adversity strikes. Uh, and then David succeeds in driving out the Philistines. And at this point, uh, with the uniting of the 12 tribes, uh, David kind of, he wants to pay careful attention to the centrality of worship. He wants... Um, He's he wants to build a house for God um, and where the Ark of the Covenant can be. So he, after the Ark of the Covenant has been brought back, David, he wanted to make a permanent building for him, for it. And he said to Nathan that he lives in a house of wood, so why, why should God dwell in a tent? Um, And Nathan initially says, yeah, go, go do what's in your heart and build the house for God. Um, but God had a different plan uh, for David and responds by using Nathan the prophet, saying here, um, here's the covenant, God's covenant with David. It says, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men. But my steadfast love will not depart from him, as I took it from Saul, whom I put away from before you. And from your, and your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. So this is a really 
really great promise. It's, we, we notice here that David had a plan, um, but God had a different plan. David, what, his desire was, was faithful, and he wanted to, to please God, but God had a, something bigger and better that David could have never even anticipated. Um, he had a plan to establish his son's kingdom forever. The kingdom promised to David's family is eternal. Uh, the sins of David and his line would not prompt God to, to remove his love from David's uh, descendants. Um, and then we, we know that Christ is the final fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. Um, Jesus was punished for the sins of both David's line and all of God's people, including us. So, after receiving this news, he, he has a, a response. He, he humbles himself and he goes to pray to God uh, in the tent of worship. He pours out his heart. Um, and this is the prayer from chapter 7 here. And I'm going to read it. For you, O Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, have made this revelation to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found courage to pray this prayer to you. And now, O Lord, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promised this good thing to your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you to bless the house of your servant. Now, therefore, may it please you so that it may continue forever before you. For you, O Lord God, have spoken, and with your blessing shall the house of your servant be blessed forever. So David, he found confidence in the promises that the Lord gave him. He found confidence and courage, and he clung to these promises that God spoke through Nathan. He praised and he glorified his name in response to them. And then he trusted that God's word was true, and that drove his praise and worship. So with, with uh, the confidence boost from God, David's kingdom is, is strengthened. He enlarges his kingdom, uh, and the full expansion of the kingdom uh, is, is the promised land is, is taken. Uh, and it is said that the Lord preserved David wherever he went. So things are going pretty good for David. Um, and then we get into part two. David decides to not to accompany his troops to battle. Uh, and then with, with this, with his idleness, we see the sin of Bathsheba. I'm sure we all know a little bit about it. David's on his roof. Uh, he sees a beautiful woman. He has her come up and he, he, he sleeps with her commits adultery, and, and then they are soon to have a kid. And Uriah is off to war. Uriah is Bathsheba's husband. She, he's off to war, and David tries to get him to come back um, so, she'll, so he will sleep with her so he can cover up the sin. Um, Uriah, he proves to be noble. He proves to be a man who cannot uh, indulge in pleasures while his brothers are fighting a battle. So he... He doesn't, and he eventually, David has to take it into his own hands, as he, and he sends Uriah to the front lines to be killed. So he commits adultery. He, uh, he tries to cover it up. He murders. He lies. Um, and, yeah, that's so that right after the covenant, he does this. Um, and after this string of sin, he's rebuked uh, by Nathan, 
through a parable. Uh, and David, after hearing about the parable, he judges the, the wicked rich man for what he did. And in the parable, and Nathan said, he's like, that, that's you. That is, that's you. And, and David's rebuked. He, he's at, Nathan asks him, why have you despised the word of the Lord? I'll, I'll leave that up for you. Um, and as soon as he hears these words, um, he's, he's humbled. He's, he's brought to his knees and he says, I have sinned against God. And uh, here's his response. He said, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. So although David sins in this great way, um, great, great as in big, not good, um, we see God's amazing grace. We see God, he's, he's ready to forgive our sins when we're truly repentant. Uh, we see um, David having a truly repentant heart. He is, he's grieved that he sinned against the Lord. And it's unlike Saul who was grieved that he doesn't look good in front of the people. So in this, we need to, we need to look to David in our repentance and turning to God uh, and being grieved that we, we sin against God and not how we look in front of of our, our, the people. So with this, uh, sin, with the sin, yes, he's forgiven, but he, sin still has consequence. And David's not an ordinary, ordinary man. He's king. He's king of Israel. And position brings responsibility. The higher the position, the greater the responsibility, the greater the consequence. Um, and those who lead, like those who teach, will receive a stricter judgment, as it says in James 3.1. So that's something to heed. That's a warning from Scripture that we need to take uh, with heavy hearts. The following story of David is, is a record, really, of, of the consequences resulting from his sin. Things were going so well in part one. The opening years, he was, his kingdom was getting built. Uh, and then you kind of see it falling apart a little bit. Um, the child conceived in the sinful union dies. Um, David's family becomes kind of chaotic. Uh, the man who is able to rule his nation wisely cannot rule his home. But we also see Solomon being born to Bathsheba and David. As we know that Solomon will eventually succeed uh, David as king. So this is, a, this is a, a really cool and great picture of God's grace. And then goes on to talk about uh, the strife in, in David's house. So his, his son Amnon uh, eventually commits this nasty sin. He rapes his sister, his half-sister. Uh, and David, it just says David's angry. He doesn't really do a, a whole lot about it. Um, until, well, two years later, Absalom, which is... Tamar's uh, full brother and, and half-brother of Amnon takes matters into his own hands and he murders his, his half-brother uh, and then he flees the country. So 
Absalom takes matters into his own hands because David did not. Um, and David, David just doesn't have control over his house at this point. So Absalom's David's son. He causes David a lot of pain. He kills his, uh, his other son, and he eventually turns against his father. He tries to take his throne. Um, he really he tries to win the popularity of the people. He kind of like King Saul. He was he was very handsome. He was tall. He was he was he looked like he was a powerful guy, and he he tells them kind of what justice he would give if he were king, uh, how he would do well in their eyes, and uh, he he gains popularity and he mounts a revolt. It was said that he stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So he he. He gained popularity with the people. Um, so King, King David, he's betrayed by his son. Uh, Absalom ends up trying to take his, uh, his most trusted counselor, and, and he does. So he's betrayed by his, his close friend. Um, and then at this point, David again is, is kind of, he's on the run. He's, he's fleeing from this, this revolt that's mounted. Um, It's, it's even in this hardship, it's, it's amazing how, sorry, I'm getting behind. It's amazing how God works to protect David. Um, God's workings, his providence, it's clear that he is protecting David and he has a plan to do so. Um, during the revolt, Absalom's riding on his, his mule and it goes under a tree and he gets caught up in it and he's just hanging there and uh, Joab ends up slaying Absalom so that's the way that God God chose to to protect David and, and to kill his son um, which yeah it was his son and David is really saddened by the news of his son dying um, it was a king who was likely relieved that this revolt was over but it was a father who was saddened by uh, his son dying. And this was his grief here. Um, it says, And the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, would I have died instead of you, O Absalom, my son, my son. So he's, he's heartbroken. Um, but Joab is not. <laughs> He, uh, he was like, he's like, dude, you're the king. You had, we had to kill this guy. He was, he was mounting a revolt. He was taking your kingdom. So he's like, kind of like be a man. But um, and Joab, you just, you kind of see Joab throughout just doing whatever it takes to, to kill somebody or finding a reason to, to kill someone. Um, so at, after this, he returns uh, to Jerusalem as king. There's no longer a revolt. Uh, there's division among the men. Again, like usual, Judah and Israel, they, they were um, fighting over who escorted David over the Jordan. So something super silly, but it mattered to them. Okay, and into part three, the final years of, of the reign of King David. Um, the next part opens up telling of Sheba, who's described as a worthless man. Uh, he was a Benjamite. He leads a rebellion against David. He 
uh, states to the people that they have no inheritance in David. He is not of their kin. Uh, and again, we see Israel divided. Israel follows Sheba, uh, and only the tribe of Judah remains with David. So God, again, protects David, and Sheba is killed, um, and his head is his, he's decapitated, and his head's thrown over the wall. Um, so it's, squar it's squashed, the, uh, the rebellion there. And then God sends three years of famine. This is actually because of, of Saul. David has no idea why, why this is happening. He, he seeks the Lord. He's, he's asking for an explanation. And it's revealed to him that the famine is, is happening because of, of Saul uh, breaking a peace treaty with the Gibeonites some years earlier. Um, that was initially entered in in the, in the days of Joshua. And King Saul violated this covenant, and the people were punished accordingly. And after David learns about uh, this, the reason for it, he tries to remedy, he tries to reach out to the Gibeonites uh, and find out how they can make it right. Um, he ends up uh, executing seven male descendants of Saul. Uh, he gives them over, and they, they, they execute him. Uh, and then he... Then Rizpah, which is Saul's concubine, kind of keeps a vigil over the bodies uh, and her action in respect to the dead um, prompts David to recover the bodies of Saul, Jonathan, and the seven grandsons who were, who were, ha who were hung. Uh, he ensures the burial of, of them in, in Kish, which is Saul's father. Uh, David is 68 at this point. Oh, the famine ends. So because of that, the famine ends. So he makes it right. And at this point, David is 68 years old. Uh, he's still actually leading his army in battle, which I can't, I mean, can't imagine leading an army in battle at 68, but he's doing it. Uh, he probably shouldn't have been because he falls over. He passes out. So, uh, yeah, David collapses, and he's rescued by uh, Abishai. And the men are like, you should stop fighting. It's time. So he, he retires from military leadership, he, but his work's not over. Um, he uses this time to reflect on his long and eventful life, and he composes uh, this song of thanksgiving. This is just an ex excerpt from it that I wanted to, uh, to read. Uh, it says, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold and my refuge, my Savior, you save me from violence. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. So David, David knows that he will be comforted uh, when he takes refuge in the Lord. David knows that God is his only way of salvation and hope. Um, in the final chapter of 2 Samuel, David takes a census without the Lord's direction. Uh, he's, he's wishing to see how vast and how big his army is. Um, and it, it's indicated that it was done in pride. He was, uh, he was quickly convicted by the Holy Spirit. And even though he was convicted, uh, the Lord indicates his displeasure, and he actually sends a plague that kills 70,000 men from just this action, um, which is it's really crazy. Uh, David's actions, small or big, uh, they had serious consequences. Uh, 
our actions, they, they have consequences as well. Um, he's a sinner. We are sinners. Second Samuel shows us the huge contrast in how David dealt with his sin compared to how Saul dealt with uh, his sin and, and rebuke. Uh, we need to be people who are soft to rebuke uh, of the Lord and turn to Christ, knowing that through him we have eternal life uh, and righteousness, and it's only by God's grace. So I think that, well, that is the end of the, um, the overview of the chapter. Uh, now we're going to get into Christ and his church. We're just going to kind of go through it uh, relatively quickly. But David, it was known as a type of Christ. Uh, like Jesus, David was king chosen by God. He was not the people's choice like Saul. He wasn't han handsome. Actually, I think it was this, did describe him as handsome, but he wasn't like... Ruddy. Ruddy. Yes, ruddy. Thank you, Sam. Um, but he wasn't like a big warrior. Um, it was because God was with him that he, had, he, had, he was successful in battle. Um, and like Jesus, God delighted in King David. He is a man after God's own heart. Uh, David's anointing agrees with what the prophecies say of the anointing of the Messiah, who spoke, uh, who speak of it as an anointed with the Spirit of God. So at the first anointing, David was anointed three times, and at the first anointing, it is said that the Spirit of God came upon him and, and never left him. So, and like Jesus, he's spoken of as pure and upright and righteous, uh, one that had clean hands. And obviously, David, David was a sinner, but he was still known as a man after God's own heart. Um, just like Jesus, David was rejected by his people. He experienced, it, he experienced exile for many years. Uh, and David's forgiveness of sinners and of men who uh, wronged him were really unparalleled except by, obviously, Jesus. Uh, he, he was a, a man who was quick to forgive uh, and help those in need. And another parallel of David and Jesus is they were both betrayed by their close friend, uh, just as Jesus was betrayed by Judas. Uh, and we see also, sorry guys, we see also the prophecy, uh, the seed of David, as we already talked about. The Lord gave David a prophetic uh, promise, your house and your kingdom shall be established forever. Um, the promise made to Abraham of a seed to come, this is the promise continued uh, and eventually fulfilled through David's line and the Son of God. And the Lord's anointed the king. So it's David who first described uh, the, a king as the Lord's anointed. It's a phrase that gives, uh, gives a high view of kingship, having witnessed his own rise to the throne, followed by his fall uh, into sin and lust, adultery and murder. David had seen his life closely aligned with the promised Messiah in his, in his uh, rise to power, uh, but separate from that uh, with his own falling. But by the end of life, David is, in his writings clearly separates himself from the promised one with Jesus Christ. Um, and then we'll get into application. I, the first one is relying upon the promises of God. David... David had to wait a long time, some years, to, to see the unfolding of God's promises. Uh, he was anointed king when he was about 15, and he ended up being king uh, when he was 30. So that's a long time to wait uh, when you know that you're going to be king or 
God has taught throughout the Bible his, pe his people patience. Moses had to wait 40 years before leading the children out of Israel out of Egypt. Uh, 40 years of wandering in the desert. Abraham waited a long time for his promised son, 25 years. So it's not easy having patience. Um, we need to have patience and we need to rely on the promises of God throughout our lives. Uh, in order to rely on these promises, we also have to know them. So what, what promises of God are, are we waiting for? What promises of God are you waiting for? Um, this is not a hypothetical question. Anything. The return of Jesus. Return of Jesus. Yeah. He'll be a father to generations after. Yeah, that's one that you just have to have faith and trust in God. Yeah. Yeah. Any others? <laughs> Train up a Mm -hmm. So, yeah. My life and those around. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Good. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he gets old, he will not depart from it. That's a good promise, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. So there, there's promises that we need to wait for and that we should expect, even though we are waiting, that they will come true because God completes and fulfills his promises. All right, the next point is the importance of reflection and gratitude. Uh, we just celebrated Thanksgiving, and it's a great time to reflect and be thankful. Um, but it shouldn't be the only time we do that in the year. Uh, we should be a people who reflect daily uh, and, uh, and give thanks daily, not only in your own personal prayer, but to your kids, too, to your, the people around you, to your coworkers. There's so much bitterness and complaining and and just you know bad talk going on um, that you, you need to you need to do it you need to be a person known for talking about the good things of God um, you need to talk about the Lord's work in your life you need to talk about his goodness his character uh, it should be uttered from your lips um, it doesn't really just happen, though. You, you gotta, you gotta know his goodness. You gotta, you gotta do that work of reflection uh, on your day, on your week, and you gotta see how it went, and then you gotta, you gotta fix it if it didn't go well. Um, if our family only hears us say what we're thankful for once a year, then they probably don't think we're thankful. Um, so you need to do the work in. I need to do the work. We all need to do the work of showing this, that this is important. Um, so I, I just wanted to pose a, a question to you. When do you find time to reflect? Is that, is that something you do? Um, reflect about God's goodness. Um, it's, it's important. So, Okay, that's all I wanted to say about that. Next. We need to learn from the sins of our fathers. Um, we're told of David's sin, adultery, murder, uh, pride, so that we might learn from them. We're told of David's response so that we might learn from it. 
Um, we don't see a man who gives excuses or explanations or telling why he did this sin or why he was wronged. We, we see a man who falls on his face and humble. Uh, he's, he's, he's grieved over his sin that he committed against God. Um, we do get to see the results of David's sin um, in hopes that we won't repeat. We see that his sin not only caused turmoil in his own life, it caused turmoil in the lives around him. It, uh, it caused death. It caused his household, his whole kingdom to, to suffer because of it. Um, so don't take it lightly, uh, the sins that we, we hear about in the Bible, the sins that you see in, in your brothers and you see the result. Um, you need to, to heed the warnings that you see in Scripture. Um, and how do you respond to rebuke? Are you, uh, do you argue with your wife when she points out your faults? Do you, are you defensive like me when corrected? Um, we need to be a people who is not that way. Um, it's easy to, to, to get quick with people and to have a, a quick response. But that is not how we're supposed to be, how we're supposed to act. Um, that's about time, guys. Does anyone have comments, questions, concerns? You do? Concerns. <laughs> okay, good. Hey, it's all open. All right, Sam, can you pray for us, please? Thank you for listening to Truth and Life. If you enjoyed the series, please subscribe. And remember, from Genesis to Revelation, every book is truth to live by.